0: Welcome to Replay Value, the podcast that deep dives into the films we love and figures out why we find ourselves watching the same things over and over again. I'm your host, Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren. We probably say this every episode, but this one is an exception. I know that you especially have been looking forward to covering this in one of our podcasts.
1: Yeah, uh, one of my personal favorite movies, uh, A replay value titan. It's in my Fab Five. The godfather of superhero movies. Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight.
0: One that needs no introduction. Um, You know, it, it may not be as old as some of the films we've done, but it's one that has really seeped its roots into pop culture and really Influenced a lot of people, Uh, but you know, of course, the movie itself, as successful as is, it had a lot of of influences on its own. Uh, Batman, of course, the IP coming from comic books. Now, Warren, uh, you were really big into this movie for a while. What 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 type of influences did Nolan take as far as whenever he began making this movie?
1: Well, you know, one of the brilliant things about Nolan is he really gets down to the nitty gritty. The the the. The steak and potatoes, the essence of what makes these characters stand the test of time. And you'll find that a lot of his interpretations, he tends to stay very close to the very first iteration of the character. Um, However, in this film, uh, heavy influences borrow from the Long Halloween, famous Batman comic, uh, where uh, it's a it's a, a story about Batman, Harvey Dent, and Commissioner Gordon working together. Before, you know, Harvey Dent becomes Two-Face. The Killing Joke is another heavy influence for this comic. And there are elements, and and again, this is what I was saying, where where Nolan really tends to to stay with the first iterations of the character. From the very first Batman comic, which is Joker's first appearance back in 1940. Uh, So Nolan is very true to the character in this film. I think you could argue maybe he wasn't with Dark Knight Rises. Maybe we'll talk about that another day. But in Batman Begins and especially The Dark Knight, he, he's really true to Batman uh, and the characters. Uh, but those influences, uh, uh, those two comics really are the the, the heaviest uh, influences in the film.
0: Uh, real quickly on the comic book influences, I just thought it was funny that you were so big into these this movie for a while that you actually, didn't you buy these comic books and read them yourself? Didn't you like see where the story came from?
1: Yes. I even took it further and read Batman Year One and The Dark Knight Returns, the Frank Miller properties. And you and I really weren't comic book kids growing up. You know that.
0: No, that's the thing is that and that you, like when I watched this movie, you kind of, we we just thought like, wow, Nolan's such a genius, but we didn't realize these influences, how he had pulled from these old comic books. You kind of educated me on that. And he really made those ideas seem like they were, I don't know. You you got to see how awesome the writing of the Batman comics was, and how he was able to put, bring that to life on the silver well, he, screen. He
1: plucks from the best of the Batman comics, really, and he does that consistently through the trilogy. Obviously, Dark Knight Rises, Nightfall, uh, Batman Begins, obviously Batman Year One. Um, you know, but also there's a heavy film influence that you know Nolan is a, a, a like Martin Scorsese is a student of film and uses a lot of great films of the past to uh, you know tailor his movies today. Um, and he actually held a two-day film festival for the cast and crew. They screened eight movies amongst those titles. Heat, Citizen mm. Kane, Clockwork Orange, and he, they re-screened uh, They Watched Batman Begins.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, so you could just kind of see, and there's a lot of heat in this movie. Heat really was one of those movies that made the city a character. You really feel that... Gotham, you know, is a city, it's a real place. And this was the first Batman movie to really get out of the soundstage-based shooting. You know, even the Burtman films, Schumacher, and the Batman Begins were soundstage-based. This was the first Batman to really go out and shoot in the cities. They had, you know, they had a lot of day scenes. Really just kind of pursued a much more um, realistic, plausible path, uh, and even built upon that with this movie, but I think we can agree, you know, Christopher Nolan, he had a tough act to follow after Batman Begins. I mean, that was a very well-perceived film. You know, he didn't end it on purpose to set up a sequel. He even said he didn't know they were going to make a sequel. But he certainly, in hindsight, feels that way. I mean, and the ending is from directly lifted from Batman Year One. Take
0: this guy. Arm robbery, double homicide. Got a taste for the theatrical, like you. Leaves a calling card. I'll look into it. And again, you you don't have to necessarily like we were saying earlier is you don't need to see Batman Begins to appreciate this movie and you don't need to know that there's a sequel. The ending is, you know, it is a very much a standalone movie despite it being a sequel. You talk about Nolan's love for film and sound and like you know, making the movie big by shooting it take it out of the 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 um, a sound stage doing it like in a city, bringing the city to life and everything. That kind of lended itself to the IMAX format and, mm. and his, his um, preference in shooting the movie in this way, did it not?
1: Oh, yeah. And he, one of the things he knew when they came back to make this, the sequel he, you know to, to Batman Begins, and, and, and I will say if you go back and watch Batman Begins now, it's much better with Dark Knight. I would just want to add that to, uh, to what you were saying. Um, but Nolan knew early on. You know, he wanted to make this film bigger. He wanted to make it bigger and better than the original, uh, and IMAX was a great way to do that. So he knew early on he wanted to do the prologue scene with the Joker in full battle rattle makeup with a bank with IMAX cameras. So production and, and, and you know and the crew really had the work cut out for him right from the get-go. Um, as IMAX cameras, keep in mind people, at this point had been used for space documentaries, wildlife, you know, safari-type shooting document. It hadn't been used in a cinematic feature film before
0: it was cutting edge for him to do it at this time and it kind of launched the era like era of every big blockbuster action movie is in IMAX now now didn't he preview the bank scene like didn't he wasn't that in front of a film you know he did this something with Dark Knight Rises too but didn't like he let people see that before a film like,
1: Yeah, I want to say I think you're correct. I want to say 6 or 7 months before the film. I know he did this with Rises. Uh 6 or 7 months before the film, he would put the pro uh the prologue in in front of uh another film that was completely unrelated to DC or the uh the Batman films and he would give you a little sneak peek there and it would only play for a limited time so it was a really there were people who would pay to go see movies that they didn't even care about, they would go see the prologue and leave.
0: Talk about building buzz for a movie. I mean, that is how you do it, right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, just being able to see that IMAX. I mean, coming off especially uh, how good Batman Begins was, you're just like fuck, yes, I want to see the Dark Knight. The the you know the introduction of the Joker. I mean, that opening scene, and we'll get to that later, is just ah, oh, it's perfect. Yeah. Um. Now some other steps that Nolan took, um, as far as, um. Influences and I guess leaps that he took on his own. One of the things that was kind of cool about this movie that changed a little bit with the production aspect of it is the new bat
1: suit. Yeah, that was big, and I think we'll agree is by far the best bat suit we have seen on film.
0: And he starts the movie with the old one from Batman Begins, so like you logically get to why Bruce Wayne. It's not just a new suit for the sake of having a new suit.
1: Exactly. Like, and and that's something a lot of movies did. You know, like look at Batman and Robin at the very end. They've all got the silver and black suits. We don't have any explanation with the nipples. for that. Well, both, all the suits they wore in that movie had the nipples. But <laughs> that's yeah, high. yeah. But I uh, know. But you know, that's so great is like a lot of movies will just have their characters change costumes, no reason. And Nolan made it part of the story. And really, well, they just want to
0: sell a new toy. That's what it is. It's exactly. merchandising.
1: And, and you know, Nolan even said they didn't have time to redesign. The suit in Batman begins. They just didn't have the time with production ramping up. So they took the time to design it. And instead of it being tied to so rubber, they wanted it to be a functional, what you see is what you get. It is a real suit of armor. You know, it provides a protection. And more importantly, and this is the big thing, this was the first film where Batman could turn his neck. And they wrote that into the story, which obviously provided some great little comedic moment with uh, Lucius Fox.
0: Anything else you can trouble me for? I need a new suit.
1: Yeah, three buttons is a little nineties, Mister Wayne.
0: And I always kind of make the joke now, like anytime like I, I sleep wrong and I have a crick in my neck, and you really can't turn, you kind of like do the whole like shoulder swing. Yeah, like you feel like you're Batman. Like I always make that comparison, like Batman. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How, if you go back and look at the older, even the Keaton, Kilmer, Clooney Batman Begins, anytime they move, it's just like this very like uh, illogical how they would fight with that type of setup around their the, the cowl. You know? Mm-hmm. So. And really, the kind of piggyback off of that—that that is one of the things that make this makes this movie so great. And the franchise, Nolan's uh, trilogy of Batman, uh, The Dark Knight, is that every single technological tool and advancement that he makes, there is a logical story behind it mm-hmm. of why he would need to do something. The re- like with the cell phone thing at the end, uh, with his you know some of his other gadgets, like. Um, like the tumbler, like it being a military design. It's not just like, oh, I created a Batmobile, you know.
1: And I know we mentioned Batman Begins earlier and building on what you're saying, Batman Begins really was the film, and again, we'll cover that, but it takes the time to really explain everything. And you couldn't have Dark Knight without Batman Begins first. So the Dark Knight stays true to those consistencies that the world building did in Batman Begins, but we give this at this point, we're so in with these characters in this universe, we don't need everything to be explained to us like it was in Batman Begins because they've they've, they've earned our trust.
0: Yeah, but to a degree, it still is even with like the sonar thing and, and Lucius Fox is just like talking to Bale about or talking to Bruce Wayne, obviously, but he's just like, oh, it's just like, and he wants to say bat, but he's like a submarine, Mr. Wayne, a submarine with the sonar. Yeah. And how that, you know, so it still does go out of its way to explain how the gadgets work. They're not just some wacky gadget that has a purpose, it has a logical backstory to it.
1: The design aspect, we talked about the suit. Really one cool thing I think this movie did, and it was really ballsy, was uh, the destruction of the Batmobile. Ah, yes. That evolved, basically becoming the Batpod, or a piece popping out of the Batmobile and, and becoming the Batpod, which was very it's just classic batman to to go the batpod route and pretty i mean when you think about it pretty risky i mean i don't we ha- we hadn't seen the the batpod or a bat bike in a while
0: yeah but it wasn't the first movie to take a chance and destroy the batmobile i mean let's not forget about batman returns whenever he uh, splits it apart so he can go through that alley
1: <laughs> oh yeah
0: so cheesy. It's yeah.
1: awful. You would think he would have some kind of Terminator 2 feature, you know, where the metal would go back together after it's apart, where maybe those pieces would find its way back to the Batmobile. It's really just a tragedy to leave it like a Batmobile hot dog.
0: Yeah, it's. it's <laughs> that movie's. <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of accents the cheesiness of those older Batman films when you see something as masterful as I, the Dark. Knight. I, I don't
1: want to get too off track here, but there's just a great moment of Batman Returns where Michael <laughs> Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's in the bat wing and this penguin flies by him and almost completely blows him up in the batwing and you could just, the Michael Keaton doesn't say anything, but you could just tell this look on his face. Like, Holy shit. If a penguin really just took me out, it, it was just such a great <laughs> moment in that movie. Uh,
0: I think we're going to take, got it, got Watch yeah, that. Yeah,
1: we'll, and we'll, we may have to revisit the Burton, uh, Keaton Warren,
0: combo. You are, you're such a huge fan of the Batman films and I am too, but I can't rival you. I'm sure as if we do this podcast long enough, We'll do all the Batman films.
1: We'll even do Batman and Robin.
0: <laughs> even the ones that don't have such a high replay value.
1: Don't wait up, Al. Okay, <laughs> anyways. Uh, anyway,
0: moving yeah. on. So I do want to get into, uh, I want to talk about the Joker. And, oh, yeah. I mean, what, we could run through the whole gamut, but really just like, I guess the, the pre-production decisions of the Joker as far as um, the music of the Joker, the sound of him, how they approached, or how you know Nolan and Ledger work together to create what is the iconic Joker that will Mm -hmm. the Michael Jordan of Jokers, if you will,
1: arguably the Michael Jordan of movie villains. I mean, you could argue this is the greatest movie villain of all time, period. And, And Zimmer even said, you know, it's funny you bring up the, the, the score. I mean, Zimmer, I mean, this score is on in my iTunes. I love this score. It's in my workout playlist. It's an amazing score. Zimmer again, outdoes himself. But the sound of the Joker, and he even says this, was critical to the film. And I think I was, I heard in a featurette or I read somewhere that he had sent Nolan 8,000 bars of different samples for the sound of the Joker. That's how important it was. And, you know, he found the sound and it ended up being just two notes clashing together beautifully.
0: Well, I wouldn't say um, beautifully. But they clash. <laughs> well, they, they clash
1: together uh, very uh, eloquently, and it, and it keeps kind of this this building tension uh, with, with yeah, the music. It's uneasiness. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the two notes that they used, that Zimmer used, was D and C, DC Comics. Oh wow! Just a nice that's little connection fine. there. For
0: that's pretty good.
1: Yeah. You know, what's really cool though is when you're watching the movie, and any time you hear it, you know, okay, the Joker is lurking in the shadows he's nearby and it, it's that element is just really works with the Joker uh, in the movie quite well
0: in any any good character in any movie has to have layers so it's like if the sound of the the score of the Joker wouldn't have been right it would have felt like something was missing you couldn't put your finger on it but you would have known it just but it adds to that depth it gives that again that that tension that uneasiness that comes from the music is every bit a part of his character as his laugh? You know, it, it all comprises it of the movie. But
1: one other thing I would say, real quick, about uh, the score is and this is another way how Nolan continued to turn the superhero genre on its head and just reinvent it and just provided a roadmap for people to follow. Is and Zimmer did this with the music. You know, a lot of superhero films before this had the. They have a theme, right? They have their cheesy little mm-hmm. theme, and every time you see the right. character, the theme plays. Well, Zimmer used a technique, and you as a musician made me familiar with this. It's called, quote-unquote, musical foreshadowing. And you don't play the theme. You hint at it. So there's only two times in the entire Dark Knight film that you hear the Batman theme.
0: Oh. Hmm. I, w- I wasn't aware of that until you mentioned something about it. But it's like, no, you're right. you Hear little snippets of it, but you until you it's like a big payoff, you know, later on,
1: exactly. And a big influence, and I didn't even think of this until just now, was Casino Royale did the same thing with the Bond theme, you didn't hear it till the very end. They used musical foreshadowing leading up to it because he wasn't the full, absolute character of James Bond yet. So, again, another example and 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 of how these movies have uh, the Dark Knight and Batman Begins, this trilogy as a whole has really influenced uh, other films, not just in superheroes, but in movies in all different genres.
0: Real quickly talking about the, uh, the score of the movie, um, Hans Zimmer, he, uh, um, of course he's gone on to do several films with Christopher Nolan now and been nominated for, for Oscars. Um, I mean, he's done a wide variety of movies. He won an Oscar for the lion King.
1: Yeah. If you knew Mm -hmm. that, yeah,
0: his first Oscar, um, but before he got his start in scoring movies, did you know, and you may not remember this band, but there, he was in an eighties, uh, probably seventies, eighties, uh, pop band called the Buggles who are most notably, uh, remembered for having the very first music video ever aired on MTV video killed the radio star. He was a keyboard player in that band. Did you know that?
1: No, I did not. Wow. That's, uh. Huh.
0: That's pretty, pretty, freaking cool. Isn't it?
1: Yeah. I guess it's, um, it's kind of crazy. He had that level of success.
0: Yeah. You can see him in the, in the video. So it's just kind of, wow. I, I heard about, the, I read that the other day and I thought it was pretty cool when it comes to production of a film of this magnitude. Uh, we could talk about, you know, the production aspect of it for a whole podcast, but before we move on, I do want to mention that the stunts in this film were just on another level of how they achieved the mm-hmm. things that they, that they did.
1: And you got to really give credit. And, and, and Nolan's direction it, it just is in every department. And like we talked about, the plausibility, the realism, the grittiness. You feel like this could happen in New York tomorrow uh, the way he does it. Um, and they avoid its visual effects at all costs. I mean, if he can do it for real, he does it. And you've got the SWAT van going into the lake. He did that mm-hmm. for real. You got the semi truck oh, wow. flip, right? Uh, just yep. in that one sequence, uh, the judge car explosion. They crash a Lambo. Uh, Batman dives off a building. They couldn't actually do it in Hong Kong, but they did do have a stuntman dive and then superimpose it into the image. But still, that's crazy. I mean, that most movies would just CGI that. Um, and Bale, Christian Bale, the movie star Christian F. And Bale stood on top of the IFC Tower 2 in Hong Kong, which at the time was the tallest building in Hong Kong, on the edge in the bat suit. He did that for real.
0: Wow, that's badass. Yeah, Man, it that is. That's cool.
1: Yeah, and that's why you got to love Christopher Nolan. He's an old-school filmmaker. He does, he does stunts. He builds sets. He uses film. He hires extras. He does it the way that it's been done since the great directors of yesteryear, you know, uh, from the 20s and 30s. Capra, Lean, et cetera.
0: Yeah, and just to say, I mean, one of his newer films. Obviously, we won't be doing it on replay value anytime soon. But Dunkirk, how many extras did he have on the beach for the Dunkirk? I mean, he is so he's not gonna he uses CGI as little as possible and wants to keep it grounded in reality. Okay, so let's move on to the year in movies for when this film came
1: out. The Dark Knight, you know, it came out in July two thousand eight in the summer, July eighteenth. It was the first comic book movie to gross a billion dollars. That sounds crazy today because there's been like, what, 10 or 15? But it was the first one to crack a billion.
0: Comic book movies? I don't know about that. But there's been a lot of movies, yeah, I think probably 10 or 15 total that have grossed a billion dollars. But to think that a movie was doing, a comic book movie was doing it back in 2008 is unfathomable. You
1: know, this movie made more in the first six days than Batman Begins did during its entire U.S. run. And awards, uh, which it obviously not only has had an influence on other movies, but had an influence on the Academy Awards. One would argue Uh, it was nominated for eight Oscars, winning two Oscars. uh, One of which, of course, was Heath Ledger uh, for Best Supporting Actor. Iron Man also came out in 2008,
0: which launched the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's just kind of crazy. Both of these films came out in the same year. That's
1: really, and that's probably my favorite Marvel movie honestly that in the first avengers that, I, I really no. like i really like the first iron man it's really good um wall-e came out that year twilight taken step brothers tropic thunder Slumdog millionaire which if people remember of somewhat i mean i think in hindsight, probably not a great winner for Best Picture, but it was not Oscar. a great winner, Now, And, of course, 2008, we got to give a shout-out, was the year that Breaking Bad premiered on television.
0: Ah, nice. Yeah, so it's, a man, just, it was really kind of a pivotal year in movies and, and in television. And And just real quick, talking about Robert Downey Jr., he was nominated, I believe, for Tropic Thunder. Probably would have won if it wasn't for, it was a foregone conclusion that Heath Ledger was going to win for his role as the Joker, but... Him having, Downey having that movie and Iron Man in the same year is a good year for him.
1: Might be his apex year like uh, Tom Cruise in 96 with McGuire and Mission Impossible. He's pretty good.
0: He's had a good run with Marvel films for the past 10 years too. So let's get into the casting of this movie. We talk about the Joker. How did Heath Ledger get this role?
1: Well, I know that Heath Ledger and Christopher Nolan had had a conversation during the, the casting of Batman Begins and Heath Ledger had very kindly... Chris Nolan wasn't interested in doing that kind of movie. Uh, and then Batman Begins came out. And, and from the way Christopher Nolan tells it now is that he was very surprised that Heath actually reached out to him and was very interested in the character. So I think wow. Heath saw Christopher Nolan's interpretation of Batman Begins. And I think we can all, and we keep going back to Batman Begins, but it really did set the stage. And this movie wouldn't be possible without it. But um, he saw you know where Nolan was going with it. <clears throat> and, and artistically, you know they really... Uh, were on the same page with, with how they saw the character, you know, just in the big picture. And, and you know, one of the things that they talk about when Christopher Nolan was, you know, looking at actors to play the Joker is that a lot of actors didn't want to take on the Jack Nicholson shoes.
0: There's been a different shift as far as actors doing comic book movies. Nowadays, it's just like you think, you hear about, oh, there's going to be a Joker origin story and how many actors want to do it. Back then, actors before Batman Begins and the success of Nolan's trilogy, actors weren't really jumping at the opportunity to portray these types of characters. It really has shifted a lot um, since this film came out, and of course, since obviously Ledger's take on the Joker. And Warren, you may remember this, but when they announced him,
1: oh, it was anarchy. Oh yeah,
0: nobody, nobody thought that that was it was going to turn out well. Nobody.
1: Yeah. So, except and, no one. Yeah, it's and well, and it's funny, people had the same reaction with Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. So I almost think mm-hmm. at this point you almost wish that the public has that kind of reaction because it it's almost sets the expectations so low that uh, but either way, I mean, Ledger, you know, blew it out of the water.
0: On the flip side of that, you look at Let Jared Leto in Suicide Squad, uh, an actor who is was won Academy Award. Everybody was hyped up about how awesome he was going to be as the Joker. And it, it's not all his fault. It was bad writing and, and whatnot. The movie wasn't that great, but it was a letdown.
1: And yeah, they didn't show enough of him. And, and David Ayers even says in retrospect, the biggest regret he has about making Suicide Squad is he wishes he would have centered it on the Joker. And, um, mm-hmm. and he should add more of the Joker in it. We didn't get enough of him. It's too important of a character for him not to have been more involved in the movie. And that was the mistake that they made. Um, I think we'll agree that Margot Robbie was excellent as Harley Quinn, but uh, Jared Leto, I thought he was interesting. There were moments where I was like, ooh, where's he going with this? Odds are he wouldn't have surpassed Ledger uh, no. anyways if he was given the screen time, but he wasn't given the, the time to really do anything uh, with that performance. Well, I mean,
0: and he could have been the best actor in the world, but it, it was, he, you know, he was too... It, he was There wasn't enough time since Ledger played the Joker. It's like someone trying to play Michael Corleone in The Godfather eight years after Pacino did. You yeah. can't – that's a, it's well, a lose-lose. Yeah,
1: Nicholson, you had, what, 20 years between Nicholson and Ledger. So people were ready oh, for yeah. the Joker. You know, people yeah, wanted definitely. to see the Joker again. And, you know, but if you – you know, Nolan and, 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 and Heath Ledger, when they talked about the Joker, you know – and I mentioned that they screened Clockwork Orange, but Malcolm McDowell's performance of uh, in the Clockwork Orange, they really uh, looked at that character, Alex, and apparently he's pretty different in the book than he is in the movie. Francis Bacon paintings they looked at. And so there was a lot of uh, uh, artistic influence taken from a lot of different uh, mediums uh, to really help shape Heath Ledger and Chris Nolan's vision of the Joker and bringing it to life.
0: As far as the other actors go, we don't want to spend... Uh, anytime talking about the main cast members from Batman Begins, we want to focus more on the ones that were new to the Dark Knight. And, you know, we can't really talk about that without discussing the recasting of Rachel Dawes from Katie Holmes to Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, A lot of buzz about when this happened, why it happened. Warren, um, I know you've got the backstory on this. Why exactly did Maggie Gyllenhaal get this role in this movie
1: <clears throat> well katie holmes was offered the part uh there's a couple different stories that have been floated around one is that she opted to make a movie with queen latifah instead i believe it's called money talks i could be wrong and then the other story is that she was married to tom cruise at the time he had her locked in the house went not let her leave <laughs>
0: <laughs> the story that i heard was that i don't know if it was religion or her like some actors i, I think um there's, I want to say Will Smith, but there are some actors out there that don't want to be cast in a movie where their character dies. And some rumors is that she saw that you know, Rachel Dawes, Rachel! that the character dies in the script, and it was a deal breaker for her. And that's why she backed out of the film. Hmm. I don't know if that's true. It's what I've heard.
1: I had not heard that. That's interesting. Um, now, they did look at a handful of great candidates to replace her. Uh, Rachel McAdams, Emily Blunt. Uh, before they set it on Maggie Gyllenhaal. And, you know, for continuity purposes, as great of an actress as Maggie Gyllenhaal is, and she is really good. I have not seen her ever be bad in anything. Um, I would have liked to have had Katie Holmes stay just to kind of keep it consistent between the films. Um, I agree. Given the circumstance that Nolan was put in, he did a great job, and Maggie, uh, you know, really knocks it out of the park and brings a depth to Rachel Rachel! uh, that... Begins really didn't take the time with story wise. We were focused on getting Batman established, but she she you really does to, yep, yeah yeah she really does a great job in this movie and
0: and what about um, Harvey Dent Aaron Eckhart who is a just a phenomenal actor did great with the role was that Nolan's first choice I mean did, at this point could he get whoever he wanted for this these movies
1: Well Matt Damon was offered the role reportedly. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my god.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, okay, I'm, I'm sorry to laugh, but yeah. I mean.
1: Uh, they looked at a lot of people here. Um, now, I do know, you know, speaking, we already talked about the Joker, but I do know Heath Ledger was Christopher Nolan's first choice for the Joker. And I know Christian Bale was the first actor he met with to play Batman for Batman Begins. Um, so that has happened in the past with Nolan before. However, that wasn't the case with Two Face. Apparently, Liv Schreiber, Mark Ruffalo, Ron Philippi, and Hugh Jackman were in contention uh, before Aaron Eckhart was cast. Nolan hmm. saw him uh, in a film, Thank You for Smoking. Yes. Really entertaining movie. It's a great film. Yeah, and thought he'd be perfect for Dent. I think Aaron Eckhart does a great job of this. He has this Kennedy quality to him.
0: Yes, that's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah. He- yeah,
1: and I think that's perfect for the Harvey Dent character because it really, the White Knight, uh, you know, Kennedy really embodies that American ideal. And that's obviously what Harvey Dent is meant to be in the story. And I don't know what the inspiration was for Harvey Dent, but I'm willing to bet it wouldn't surprise me if the person that wrote the comic with that character what well, was actually back in the forties. So probably Kennedy wasn't an inspiration. But Kennedy certainly is a perfect real life figure to uh base Harvey Dent on.
0: Just to reiterate the Kennedy comment that is just a perfect way like Eckert plays that beautifully, but then he can turn the heel and become the two face. And you know, me growing up, I didn't read comics. I'd only seen two face as Tommy Lee Jones in Batman Forever after he'd already made that turn. And it shows so much more depth of character to see the turn and why he did so.
1: Well, you see the two sides on Two-Face, you know, and, and even when Tommy Lee Jones did it, as great as an actor as Tommy Lee Jones did, he, he played Two-Face like the Joker in Batman Forever. And he didn't have, you didn't get that dimension of him being composed as Harvey did. And then when he loses his shit, when he's Two-Face, you know, like even in the scene in Dark Knight when the Joker's dressed as the nurse and he's kind of taunting Two Face, and Two Face is like Rachel! Rachel. You know, he like loses his shit a little bit, and that's mm-hmm. Two Face, man. And and I just thought they really did a great job being true to the character.
0: And, and one last thing on casting: Zamaroni, um, the crime boss, yes. Eric Roberts' characters. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Surely that he wasn't the first choice. Uh, I. It seems like he did the played the part well, but. I'm surprised that he got that that role.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. R- Nolan has um, done this throughout the Dark Knight trilogy where he casts known actors who maybe are past their prime of their career, but brings them back, like Matthew Modine in Dark Knight Rises, Rudy, Rudy Hagar in, in, in Batman Begins, and then mm. in this film with Eric Roberts. But in consideration for the role of crime boss Maroney was none other than James Gandolfini, a.k.a. Tony Soprano.
0: Wow. And this is post Sopranos, or right at the end of Sopranos. Yeah, right at, yeah it was yeah, post Sopranos, right, right around the end. Yeah.
1: But maybe it might have been too on the nose for Gandolfini. Maybe he wasn't interested in doing it. Don't know why he got it. Bob Hoskins, aka Mario and and Smee from Hook. I mean, he- Smee, Smee's me. Yeah, Hoskins <laughs> though would have been great. Love that guy. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, they settled with uh, Eric Roberts. I think
0: Hoskins would have been good for Maroni if they would have taken a more comic book turn to it. You know, a little bit more animated in the villainy of of the mob boss. He would have been great. He, he would have been a great penguin, but anyway,
1: mm, yes,
0: yeah. shifting into my favorite part of the podcast is talking about our favorite scenes and quotes of the film. Now, a lot of the movies we do on replay value are insanely quotable, have a lot of great scenes, but Warren, I know you were very careful to pick yours. So I'm interested to hear what, what you have to say. If that was uh, your favorite scene for this movie.
1: Ah. Uh. Okay, I've, you know, my honorable mentions the chase sequence with the two big stunts in the same action set piece was amazing. The I,
0: pr- I don't want you to steal mine, so just no, no, tell me uh, your the,
1: the prologue, we talked about IMAX, mm-hmm. how amazing that was. Great way to start the film, seeing the Joker in full uh, makeup. The Hong Kong scene where Bale stands on the edge of the building. And I even have to give again how Nolan continues to defy and change the way superhero movies are made. Got to give credit. And then it was a sad moment. We talk about Rachel Dawes, the scene where she's killed off. To me, had a huge impact on me because at that point you had not watched a superhero movie where the hero loses, and and it just you know like in Batman Forever when they drop you know Robin and uh, uh, Nicole Kidman. You know, down the little chute and he saves them both. The hero always saves everybody. And this is the first time, well, what if he doesn't save everybody? You know, what if he does lose? And that really brought a reality and and really kind of humanized the story in a way that we hadn't seen with this character. So a lot of great scenes in this. Personally, though, so many good scenes in this movie that I love. But my favorite scene is going to have to be the Pruitt building at the end. It's Batman at the height height of his powers. We're talking ninety six Jordan, okay. We're, we're,
0: Second Jordan reference we've made to Batman. It's a Batman. Well, he but he is he is
1: in tip top shape in this film, and you see it on mm-hmm. full display in the Pruitt building when he uh, finds out where Joker's location is. Joker's waiting for the top of him at the building, uh, but that scene is. To me, you just really get to see Batman do his thing. And it's funny, if Batman in that scene fought Bane, he'd have kicked his ass. Like, that was Batman yep. at, you're not beating him. I mean, he takes down the SWAT team and does one of the coolest stunts we talk, the, 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 where they, he dangles the SWAT off the side of the building like yes. fruit.
0: Oh, so cool. So yes. cool.
1: So awesome how they did that. You know, and he's got the sonar, and it's kind of... Arks back to the classic Batman in the comics, where he has the white eyes like that, and mm-hmm. you see him kind of balancing the information Lucius is telling him about. Him coming up one elevator, they're going in, and he's managing. He's got the sticky bomb gun, he's shooting, and he's blowing out a section of the floor to kick other people's asses to neutralize the situation. Fox, I need leisure.
0: Okay, you got DOV on Alpha. I'm on Beta. Sweat like clowns and hostages on two floors. Slack team on the stairwell. Put another S.W.A.T. team on the roof. Look up. See those red guys on the floor above? They're waiting to outwit the Slack team
1: coming up the elevator. 60 seconds. He somehow saves everybody in that situation when it's set up to be a trick. I mean, he's set up to fail. And then he confronts the Joker at the top of the, t- the building, which, if you think about it, we mentioned the Burton Batman. Same thing in that. Mm-hmm. Batman confronts yeah. Joker at the end, in the climax, the top of a tower. Do you know why those movies share that similarity? Why? Batman 1, the comic, Joker's very first appearance, Batman and Joker square off in the top of a building. And just like in both movies, Joker falls off. In the comics, Batman saves him. But. In the Burton uh, movie, obviously, he lets him die. And in this movie... He saves him. He saves him. So, again, Nolan's staying truer to the first iterations of the character.
0: And you get that, that line, just like, I think the two of us are destined to do this for a long time or for forever. I think you and I are destined to do this forever. You're kind of setting up the possibility of more films that unfortunately never came to be, but... Um, all right, so my favorite scene you, you 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 named a lot of good ones and I thought you were gonna steal mine and I'm so glad you didn't, but it's that first scene where Joker introduces himself to the mob bosses in that kitchen
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I thought my jokes were bad,
0: and he comes in and he's like. You want to see a magic trick and it's gone, you know, and just the whole, um, the whole, that entire exchange, you know, there's so many good lines that he has in there. He's like, you think you just come in here and, and, you know, take all our money. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it just very matter of factly. uh, And, and and even it's just the subtleties of the character he shows like, and Warren, you and I've talked about this, but whenever he leaves and he's like holding the, the tr- the the string on the grenades and he kicks back the door and then like
1: yeah those are the movements from like the comics and and and, yes. and the super Frank character or the, the, like he would they did their homework man and even like with the close ups of the GNC which Nola or Heath Ledger shot himself Nolan let him direct them you you when the way Ledger smiles with his teeth it has the iconic shape of the Joker smile like there's they're very detailed in and and how he moves. Uh, how he holds things and how he expresses himself. It's, again, very, very true to the character.
0: And my honorable mention would be another Joker scene whenever um, the mob boss, one of them is like, you know, 500,000 dead, a million alive, or whatever he says, and then he goes into the guy's, uh, you know, club or his whatever pool hall, his bar, and he has himself in the bag to make it think like he's dead. And then he pops out with the knife and tells the story of how he got the scars. I want to know how I got these scars. My father was a drinker and a fiend. And one night, he goes off crazier than usual. Mommy gets the kitchen knife to defend herself. He doesn't like that. Not one bit me watching, he takes the knife to her,
1: laughing while he does it. He turns to me, and he says, Why so serious? He comes at me with the knife. Why so serious? He sticks the blade in my mouth. Let's put a smile on that face. And...
0: why so serious at that moment you were just you you knew that you were watching a, a masterpiece of a performance from ledger at the after you saw that scene it's just what he delivered is just i mean it's hard to put into words but that was it was between those two scenes as far as um my favorite, but there are, again, so many. Yeah. And, and what you movie. talk
1: about is when he tells how he got his scars, which is his origin story. And people get real confused. Like, Oh, I don't understand. He always tells a different origin in every scene. Well, that actually is true to the character of the Joker and the killing joke, the comic, the origin of Joker was multiple choice. He never would reveal how he really became who he was. Um, and so again, keeping with the iteration of the, of the character.
0: All right. So we got to move on to our favorite quotes. Of the movie. So um, Warren you went first last time. So let me tell you my favorite quote. And it's actually from the scene. I just told you about where he says. If you're good at something never do it for free. I love that line. Because it really like. Even though the, the Joker is like a wild dog. He's crazy. You can see the wheels turning. He has a motive. For all his speaking of not having a plan. He's a very calculating albeit crazy and chaotic, but a very calculating criminal. He's
1: super – I mean, he's – I mean, the way he gets caught on purpose at the MCU and breaks out, I mean, the way he put together that whole plan, I mean, he's very elaborate in his plans with the two fairies at the end. Uh, That guy is uh, very, very smart um, as a character in this film. I mean, there's some things he does. You're like, wow, how did he, you know, get get ahead like that? Um, My favorite quote – and, you know, the funny thing with this movie is, and this really speaks to Nolan's greatness, is it has a little bit of everything. And, and kind of like, you know, and they talk about this, like the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie would have a gag in there, but it was by no means a comedy movie. It would add levity to a, a, a movie that was maybe serious or dark or had, you know, moments that were heavy. And I think we'll agree, Dark Knight is a serious movie. Serious action film, dramatic at times. But some of the best quotes in this movie are to lighten it up a little bit and to make it a little more enjoyable to watch. And the Joker and Alfred, to me, are the two scene stealers when it comes to great quotes. Mm-hmm. They get all the good ones. Oh yeah, you know. Oh, oh you yeah. get mole by a tiger. <laughs> or uh, uh, you could.
0: Oh, you can take the Batpod, uh, uh, the Lamborghini, much, much, much more. Subtle. Yeah, he's
1: got yeah. all the good little one-liners. The Joker uh, has, uh, you know, why so serious? Um, you know, Harvey Dent, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. Batman has no limits. I'm not I'm not wearing hockey pads. You know, there's a lot of good. Ones. Okay, okay. But but yes, but I but but it. my if if I've gotta pick one. I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. <laughs> because that is the introduction of the Joker. And it's a super, it's a tight close up of his face. We have not seen this character before and we're like holy shit as kevin smith says this is not your father's batman
0: i, I really thought it's true but i funny i thought you were going to pick a line that's like very comic booky but it, it works in the film it's like where he says it's simple we kill the batman i thought you were going to pick that one for some reason it's not like a real notable quote but it's just kind of i like i like how they used it in the film It's is pretty neat, yeah but um, and, and Warren, you have pointed this out to me before, like a few years ago, and I didn't really pick up on it until you did, but it's like one of the ways that they, um, make the, the Joker and, uh, the bat and, and the Batman, one of the ways they make Joker and Batman like that it, realistic as a villain and a superhero is you say they never call each other by their name to each to their face, is that what it was? am I saying? That right? Yeah.
1: It, when Joker and Batman are in each other's presence, they never refer to each other by name, and I think that helps uh, avoid cheesiness. Or, yes. um, and again, another brilliant way that Nolan has taken an iconic character that has been in a comic book realm and really transcended the the genre and just made a great movie. And, and that's just one of the you know you could t- with you know the realistic universe he has and 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 just having a real world feel to it you can tell this is a filmmaker who has a very strong vision he sets rules for his storytelling and his universe and 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 he, and he sticks by them and and it's you can see it
0: and well and that's kind of what I was getting at is that you know Joker can say that that quote of it's simple we we kill the batman he can talk about it about him while batman's not there and it doesn't sound cheesy, but if he were to say, I'm going to get you Batman or you'll never catch me, Batman, it's like it automatically makes it campy. It's just brilliant that no one recognized that when they were working on the script for this. Mm-hmm. So um, getting past quotes, favorite scenes, uh, if this movie were to be made today, and I know it's hard to believe it's 10 years old, but if it were coming out in 2018, Warren, um, who would you cast in it? today
1: okay well I know when we talked about the casting of the film we didn't talk about the main characters because we're going to be covering it in Batman Begins however this is a different movie than Batman Begins so when it comes to casting it I am going to fully cast the main characters and and I am sad to say that I really thought about this now of course to play Batman and this is other than me because I'm at the right age right now (laughs) so uh, (laughs) other than me which I think I would be perfect. I'm just putting that out there, Warner Brothers. <clears throat> um, and I really am kind of ashamed of this choice because it feels lazy. But I want everyone to know I really did think about it, and I really thought about it, all the different actors out there. And when I thought about it, Kristen Bale. No, that's a good guess. I almost went there. He should just take the role back. I figured you would. But I think about it, I'm like, ugh, Jake Gyllenhaal, man. I, I just with the actors that are out there at the and the age, you kind of need him to be about that age. In his 30s mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Um, to do a franchise. So I got to go Jake Gyllenhaal as Batman. Uh, Joker, Mike Fassbender.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. That's, um, I could, oh, man. Interesting. I might points. have a crush All on right. this
1: guy because I cast him in Pulp Fiction in another episode. So I
0: was just going to say that. Yeah. You, that's two movies in a row you've cast uh, Michael Fassbender. Okay. He's
1: a hot commodity. What can I say? He's brilliant. Um, two Face, Luke Evans, a.k.a.
0: Harvey Dent. Oh, Luke Evans. Man, dude, that is good. That's really good. Man, I wish I would have thought of that. That's that's an excellent choice. I love
1: He's, he's good. He
0: crushes it as Gaston in The New Beauty and the Beast. He would make a... Ah, he's got that look. He'd make...
1: He's he, very... He yeah, would absolutely, he would absolutely crush it. Absolutely. Uh, also, he's really good in... Uh, I, I know the movie wasn't a big hit, but I liked him as Dracula in that vampire movie. I forget what it's called, but... Uh, Supposed to be the, the move the universal monster movie universe that's not gonna happen now.
0: And it flopped, yeah. Um those are the only three that I did. So if you have any others, let me tell you mine first and then we can get to the other ones that you did. Um for Bruce Wayne slash Batman, I had a little old, but Oscar Isaac.
1: I must went with Oscar Isaac Wow before I
0: Settled in with Jake Uh, I'm gonna skip Joker And I'll tell you And I'll do him last But for Harvey Dent Again a little older But he plays young And I just think It'd be hilarious To see him in this role And I think he would Actually do well Uh, Tom Cruise I think Mm. he could do that
1: yeah, he might be a little too old. I think we're forgetting that because we just saw American Made. He played a thirty-five year old. We forget that he's actually like almost sixty. But yeah, um, he's
0: in his fifties. You know, it's he, funny. He, the reason he, I he the, the reason him. I
1: didn't cast Oscar Isaac is because I felt he was too old. That's the only reason I didn't pick him.
0: Yeah, this would be. Yeah, I mean, and these might be better choices for the Dark Knight Rises when the characters are a bit older. And then for the Joker, and this is this is really a, a bold choice, but I. I I had to do it. Um, as the Joker, I would pick uh, Gary Oldman.
1: You're an idiot. <laughs> no. <laughs> you can't do that. He's get Commissioner Gordon. I,
0: yeah, I know you say he's Commissioner Gordon, but we're no, doing it now. No, no, no. Here's he, the thing. Joker, Joker
1: is usually mid-40s, and he's I usually know, a little I older know. than Batman, and they already made him really young for Heath Ledger in his 20s. I, I don't know. think you can go Gary Oldman.
0: Listen, I know I, you can say all that you want, but I just think that Gary Oldman, he is – He is like the most chameleon of chameleon actors. He could play anything.
1: He is really good. You know who almost cast as the Joker? It's funny you said that. uh, Caleb Hmm. Landry Jones. I don't know if you know who he is. I don't. Oh, man. He was in Get Out. He played the creepy son of the doctor that gets killed.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. He's uh, also in uh, Three Billboards outside of Evans, Missouri. Uh, really, yeah, okay, really, okay. really good actor. I know you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, quit, I've been on the young side, but definitely would be interesting. I think the way the movies are now, though, Mike Avengers, you're going to have to probably have a name for the Joker as much as that character is pursued now. I'm rounding out the rest of the cast as Alfred. And I'll tell you, I almost went with Pierce Brosnan. <laughs>
0: uh, I'm glad you but did But I
1: didn't. I, I, I thought it would be kind of interesting with the Bond. Like, he kind of knows what's up. Because if in the oh, comics... Yeah. Alfred was a SIS or whatever. Uh, yeah. operative. Um, right, right, right. I ended up going though. And he's probably a little too old, but I've always wanted to see him play it. And my, uh, Christopher Nolan, it was actually, it was Christopher Nolan's first choice for him, Michael Caine, Anthony Hopkins.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. Right. A little old, but, uh, um, but you
1: got to think though. Here's what I was thinking. This motherfucker, And I'm not talking about Anthony Hopkins, I'm talking about Alfred Pennyworth. This motherfucker has been around in the Wayne family, walking around that house for at least 40 to 50 years. Because he was working for the Wayne family before Bruce was even born or when he was really little. And Bruce is 30 or 40, so you got to think. I mean, Alfred, if anything, Mm -hmm. they're making him a little too young in the movies. That motherfucker would be having trouble getting around the house. You remember remember Michael Goff? That was an old-ass butler. And That's an old Alfred, and maybe we go that direction with uh, with Sir Anthony Hopkins.
0: Yeah, the Jeremy the Jeremy Irons Alfred of the Ben Affleck Batman is a little a little too young and you know badass. Yeah, if I may say so.
1: I like Jeremy Irons though, but yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, Lucius Fox, Don Cheadle.
0: Uh huh. Okay.
1: Right. Commissioner Gordon, Brian Cranston.
0: Oh. Batman Year One, who did the voice acting for oh, it. Oh, wow, really I didn't good. make the
1: connection. And when I met him, I actually complimented him on the Gordon performance. little name drop there. Um, you
0: didn't make the connection. Get out of here. No, yeah, I didn't. Did. I, no,
1: I actually forgot about it when I wrote him down for this. I swear I did. He would
0: be great in a live-action uh, Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, uh,
1: Maroney Michael Stolbarg, if I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, he was in a Serious Man, Coen Brother movie. He's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, r- so, really good.
0: H- how, how, much, how many of these did you cast? I'm
1: almost done. I'm almost done. As Rachel. Rachel! Brie Larson. Very, yeah,
0: okay. That's very good. I like it. I
1: and like as it Mayor Eyeliner. I mean, excuse me, Mayor of Gotham. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought about that yeah. when I was watching it. Earlier oh, my gosh. Week. I was like, is he wearing guy liner? Yeah. He
1: is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sam Rockwell. Because I think it's a sleazy city, and I know Sam Rockwell is an all-American like Harvey Dent, but it feels like he would be—I yeah, feel like he'd play a really good sleazy mayor of a sleazy city. Yeah,
0: he—he he, like Matchstick Men style. He's got a little sleaze under the surface. He does. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Very good. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. Again, it wasn't that long ago, but since this movie's come out, but if it came out in 2018, Warren, do you think it would be more or less successful than it was then?
1: No question more successful. I feel like the environment for this type of movie is ripe as ever because there wasn't really like a huge demand for these type of movies when this one came out. But now it's like people live off, you know, the Marvel films and, and even, you know, we really want the DC movies to be good. But that's why if this movie did come along now, it would, it would be highly acclaimed and beloved by all
0: it would be hailed as the savior of dc films yeah it would people would be clamoring for a great batman film after having to watch i don't think
1: Justice League is bad as people say it is i don't think it's by it's any not. means good but it's not bad but batman or superman's bad man of steel's decent um anyway that's a story that's a podcast for another day but i do feel like Dark knight would definitely would make more money it would be more successful and with the, it, them having 10 Best Picture Oscar nominees now, I most certainly feel like it would be nominated for Best Picture as it wasn't in, in 2008.
0: I don't know if it would be a billion dollar movie coming off the heels of the bad taste in the mouth that everybody has from the current DC films. I think it would maybe, I, I, I don't know, people might be a little tepid to go into it. Wait, because the mar- the market well, for superhero films is so oversaturated. It depends right now. how you want
1: to answer the question: Is if Batman Begins came out three years before this movie today, people it would have a built-in credibility and people would be clamoring to see it. Because I remember when Batman Begins ended, I was like, "Oh, I want to see more of that."
0: Like you'd almost have to you'd almost have to undo the current DC movie universe and say Batman Begins occurred in its place, just ten years later. In that case, yes, this film would be one of the most successful films of all time. So before we do finish up with the legacy of the movie, how it's permeated in a pop culture, one segment I want to introduce to the podcast for these movies is fan theories. You know, a lot of the movies now have because they are so, um, so much of a talking point in pop culture fans get together and they try to think of things that maybe the director didn't have in mind. Everyone knows what a fan theory is. So I want to talk about some for the dark night. Warren, you know, you may or may not have heard some of these. I know you were real big into the movie
1: mm-hmm.
0: first. The first one is that Joker is a uh, ex-military, that he is a war veteran. It's a very, very popular theory. Um, and there's some hints at it throughout the film that, you know, the skills that he shows, you would almost expect from someone that is a war vet or a you know, combat veteran or special ops. he, He's very tactical, how he plans complicated heists, the jailbreak. He's proficient in fighting with weapons, including like RPGs. He knows how to use explosives very well. So there are some things in there Um, during the Batman. Mm. Real quick, uh, I'm not done yet. Also, during the interrogation scene with Batman, he says, you know, never start with the head. The victim gets all fuzzy. So it's like he kind of knew interrogation techniques. He had been through that before. Maybe he was a prisoner of war. Maybe that's actually how he got those scars Um, whenever he's talking to Harvey Dent. You know what I noticed? Nobody panics when things go according to plan. Even if the plan is horrifying. If tomorrow I tell the press that like a gangbanger will get shot or a truckload of soldiers
1: will be blowing up, nobody panics because it's all part of the plan it's just an example
0: it's just an example i I can kind of see that as well but um but again it's just he seems like he's someone that is dark Mm. out of his nature because he has seen men at their worst he's seen people in combat so what do you think about that
1: I don't think that that's the case, and it's certainly not in his performance. I mean, even when he first shoots that bank manager, the way he kind of shoots the Uzi, and he, it seems like the Uzi's controlling him. Like, you can tell he isn't real familiar with the weapons. He just kind of is doing it and kind of figuring out as he goes. And even though the character's absolute, the Joker is absolute. Like, we don't ever have a moment where he becomes the Joker. He's the Joker at the beginning of the movie. He becomes more experienced. He hasn't been the Joker very long in Dark Knight.
0: He doesn't show the technique out of someone that's true ex-military.
1: Yeah, and plus these scars, some, he got them prior to the military. So I feel like he's been effed up for a while. He probably was so effed up so young, he never made it there. I don't know. I could mm. be wrong. Okay. Uh, you know, because they made the Heath Ledger Joker younger. The older, the Joker's typically in his 40s, and he's older than Batman. And in that iteration, you know, he, he there's origin stories like he had a family and lost his family and stuff like that. So he could be a little older. But with Heath Ledger being such a young Joker, I, I feel like it could be a bit of a stretch. I mean, personally to me, I didn't get any sense of that watching it, but um, I could see how someone can make those links in between what you're saying.
0: All right. Next theory is um, during the fundraiser party that Bruce Wayne throws. The Joker doesn't want to kill Harvey Dent. He just wants to expose him as Batman. And this one's a little bit of a stretch. I didn't really like this theory. I'll go ahead and say right off the gate is that, you know, whenever. Okay. So let's put it into perspective. The scene, um, you know, when Joker arrives, he didn't just randomly kill people. He went in with a plan to get Harvey Dent. He was smacking people around. Where's Harvey? Wherever's Harvey. Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Blah, blah, blah. So some fans think that when Batman comes out, the Joker already thinks it is Harvey Dent. So that whenever He, Batman, jumps out of the window to rescue Rachel because Harvey, he thinks he's Harvey Dent. He just leaves the party. Otherwise, why would he leave? Why wouldn't he stick around and try to find Harvey Dent?
1: Mm, Here's what I I actually just completely disagree with that theory because Joker doesn't fully... I don't think he fully grasps Batman's competence, and I think he's a little surprised that Batman shows up. And that's why he makes his exit, which the movie doesn't have very many plot holes, but one of which is just how Joker just leaves that party with no ramifications, and we don't get any exit scene. But he literally just decides, like, he uses, because he grabs. The girl, once he has a second, is, is a, grabs Rachel as a hostage because he's, you know, Batman's mm-hmm. got him. He's like, fuck, I, I got to get away out of here. And he's like, poor choice of words and lets her go. And he uses Batman saving her to get out of there. Um, so I think he was just trying to find a way out once Batman showed up. And I do think he was there to kill Harvey. He whacks a judge and the police commissioner in a, in a very cleverly cut sequence, um, you know, leading up to him arriving at the party.
0: That's true. Um, and I will say that it, it really doesn't make sense because if Joker does think Harvey Dent is Batman, then the whole plot of getting arrested, the jailbreak, the double kidnapping, it wouldn't that plan wouldn't make sense if he thought Dent was Batman. It just because he would need Batman to, to pick between the two of them. So, yeah, I
1: think even hints like at one point in the conversation, like, I need for, and you even let Dent take your place. Even for a guy like me, that's cold. Like, he was kind of, you could tell he was surprised he wasn't expecting Dent to be Batman.
0: I do want to address the plot hole that you, that you and I have talked about as far as why does Joker leave the scene when Batman jumps out of the... The window to save Rachel, you Rachel! don't get to see his exit from the party. You think, well, why didn't he stay and try to find Harpy Dent? And upon watching There's the movie this last time, no, it was no, not. No, there is. Uh, yeah. Oh, it is? The, okay, well, my theory is that he's by himself. Batman just kicked all, the, the ass of all of his goons are all unconscious. So he is by himself at this party. What's he going to do alone? You know, he doesn't have any backup, any thugs to help him out. So that's why he makes an escape. What's the deleted scene though?
1: It just shows him getting in a car with the guys and driving off. And I don't remember the dialogue. It's because it wasn't a finished yeah. sequence. It was a kind of a raw footage yeah, where it even shows like the timer of the film running at the bottom. Like that's yeah, what I saw. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think that it had something to do with Batman kicking everybody's ass. So it's like he didn't have the manpower to stick around and try to see that they you know, he was kind of running away because he had. Lost a lot of that. Anyway, so the last theory I want to talk about, and this is probably my most favorite, um, is that Joker is the true hero in the Dark Knight.
1: Whatevs. All right, let's hear this. Okay, all right. Let's hear it. Okay,
0: all right. So, So the Joker, he's obviously a psychopath. There's no denying that. Now, before the Joker introduces himself, Gotham is... Is, is is in shambles. Even with Batman, the mob is still, and the organized crime is still, you know, running the city, uh, officials, um, the police force is corrupt, it's so bad that they're, they, you know, they're fine with a guy running around in a mask, and, you know, taking it upon himself to try to get the city under control. So, in comes the Joker, and Bobby is playing as chaotic, within a very short amount of time, all organized crime was eliminated. Um, the corrupt officials, they're either imprisoned or dead. And Batman, the vigilante, he left. He went into hiding. So it's just like if you think about at all that was a result of what the Joker did. And he says he's not a man with a plan, but he predicts Lau is going to take the money and try to extradite himself to Hong Kong, but he knows Batman will get him. So ba- a Joker kind of plays those criminals off each other and gets the whole gets them to pull the money goes knows Batman will get him to have um, the whole Rico case and get them all arrested and so each step that he takes you know he sees that you know that uh, after the organized crime problem is done there's a corrupt officials problem so he goes about um, with Harvey Dent and then the whole um, psychological I mean granted his motives are severe and they're wrong but if you look at the results he got rid of organized crime he gets rid of corrupt officials he gets rid of the batman and at the end of the day when the joker's done and his quote-unquote plan has been completed gotham is a better place because of what joker has done not because what what batman has
1: done no because he has no way to know that batman is going to make the choice to take the fall if he doesn't do that joker wins because Joker destroyed the white knight of Gotham the hero, which was his, remember he goes, my ace in the hole is Harvey. You didn't think
0: I'd risk losing the battle for Gotham's soul in a fist
1: fight with you. You need an ace in the hole mine's harvey and so him exposing harvey as a monster would have actually set gotham back decades and batman stepping up and saying i kill those people I <laughs> <laughs> you know him doing that though i'm who you know gotham needs me to be call it in and right. you know that whole moment. call, you know, it, call in. it in and it's like he'll hands the walkie-talkie and then you know gordon's son's like well why is he running he didn't do nothing wrong, you know, that whole thing. So I think that in itself kind of debunks it because Joker couldn't predict it that Batman would have went to those extreme lengths to kind of, in a way, lie, which is revealed to be unethical later. So Batman really kind of went bad cop there.
0: Okay. I mean, again, it's just a fun fan theory. I mean, I agree that there's no legitimacy to it, but...
1: No, they're fun. They're fun little theories. It's funny that people find a way yeah. to cook up these little theories and they're fun to talk about, yeah. but... Um, yeah. And I do think some little ones probably have some legitimacy, but uh, I don't think that one does. <laughs>
0: it's tough it's tough to pawn the Joker off as the hero. So, all right, moving on, finally we're going to end with the legacy of this film. Um uh first of course, uh, we talked about this a little earlier, but I think the biggest influence it's been it uh, how it has impacted other comic book films, wouldn't you agree?
1: Yes, this film is considered the Godfather I may have already said that. I'll say it again. Because it is literally the godfather of superhero films. Absolutely. It sets the standard in a way the Sopranos did for television. There are certain things that really set the bar. And the Dark Knight did that. In a way, it transcended the genre for the first time. It wasn't just a great superhero movie. It was a great film. And it is a great film.
0: One that you said you know, we talked about probably should have been nominated for best picture. Absolutely. Would have, if it was, if it had come out, you know, in this year, it would have, but back then there were only five nominees for best picture. This one was notably snubbed, but what happened the very next year, Warren?
1: Uh, the Academy actually upped the amount of nominees from five up to as many as 10 per year. One of the biggest arguments being the Academy was becoming irrelevant because the biggest and best movies weren't being acknowledged. And, um, in fact, it wasn't just Dark Knight. Dark Knight gets a lot of credit for this, but Wall E was also snubbed. Many people felt like that should have been nominated as well. it's true, um, and that's why we said we felt like the movie would have been more successful today because there's certainly you could argue this movie uh, would be nominated uh, today if it were to come out. It would certainly be in contention, no question.
0: I 100% agree. I, it absolutely would have gotten one of those ten slots if you know. I know it's up to ten, but it felt deserving in a year that only had five nominees. Um, So yeah, most definitely going back to the comic book influence though. I wanted to say that, um, you know, we're in an era where there are so many big comic book films coming out every single year. Um, And this started in the same year that the dark Knight came out with iron man launching the Marvel cinematic universe. But I would say as much as it helped the MCU, I think that in the long run, Nolan's Dark Knight and of course Dark Knight Rises and the trilogy totally actually hurt the DC universe. And you may agree with me, but um, I'm hoping, I'm sure you will, but you think about it Man of Steel came out not too long after that. And because of the success of Nolan's Dark Knight, that kind of grittier, realistic tone. Superman or man of steel was much darker than it should have been because you felt like they were trying to continue that type of tone Mm -hmm. in the movie. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Nolan did have his fingerprints on the man of steel story. He wrote the story with David Goyer when they ran into a writer's block writing The Dark Knight Rises. They couldn't figure it out in the trilogy. Then they figured out Superman in the middle of writing. So they went to Warner Brothers with the idea and they greenlit the the movie. And there's some cool things they did with Man of Steel. And, of course, that's another podcast for another day. It has some realistic reactions the world would have to an alien showing up. But the movie certainly got some issues, and I think you nailed it on the head. Batman is a different character than Superman. You shouldn't approach those properties in the same tone.
0: Yeah, and then that and that kind of continue with the whole it's like once they committed to Man of Steel, they felt like that was going to be the launch point of the Justice League and the other DC film universe. And that it kind of just stayed with it, you know, even with Batman v Superman, it's just like it was a little bit better, but it really hasn't started to fix itself and kind of get it um the new DC films kind of get rid of that that Nolan um mm-hmm. influence until like I'd probably sure. say Wonder Woman That came out last year, but it really, I think kind of as good as that, as excellent as the Dark Knight is, it kind of set the DC universe back for what they wanted to do because they didn't really have a plan like the MCU has. They tried to use the Dark Knight as a blueprint and it really just was never going to work. It it was meant for Batman. Batman is a Marvel film stuck in the DC universe.
1: Sure, absolutely, and you know, but the Dark Knight film really was influential in superhero films in terms of a serious tone, not being cheesy, making him you know a little more plausible, uh having character arcs and, and there being an anti hero, the rise of the anti hero and even we talked about how it killed off Rachel Dawes and like there's just you know they didn't mention each other's names in each other's presence, uh, or refer to each other by name or title. I, I feel like there's just a lot of things the, this movie did to elevate this genre and really add a credibility to comic book movies that, that was really non-existent up to, to this point.
0: Yeah. Um, real quick before I close, Warren, did you want to mention anything else uh, no, about legacy? Uh,
1: that does wrap it up, but I, I did have kind of an interesting fan theory that I, I, I forgot to mention. And it's kind of my theory about the movie when you watch it and you may, um, may or may not have caught this, but especially in 2008, that time of you know the the uh, a war with uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, the war on terrorism is really at full heat, and a lot of people made the correlations and connections that the United States was Batman. And Al Qaeda was Joker.
0: Holy Christ.
1: Because, you know, Al Qaeda represented chaos and, you know, you just want to watch the world burn and the Joker very much is like that. And Batman kind of is the hero that works in the shadows. He does right. He means well, but sometimes he'll do a necessary evil for the greater good. Mm. Anyway, it, it runs kind of deeper than that. But certainly when you watch it, I remember back then people really kind of did pick up on those themes, like to what lengths do you go to stop terrorists? You know, how far do you go? to stop this man. Remember at the end with the sonar concept at the time, they were talking about like surveillance with the NSA, the whole Edward Snowden thing. Like at what point had, how, how much do you violate people's rights to protect them? Some men aren't looking for anything logical like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.
0: And well, I think that's part of a movie that is, with as great a script as that it has is that you look into it and you're going to find, you're going to be able to see themes that you compare to real life. Even if there was unintended by the director and the writer, there are going to be those correlations. And you explain that it makes sense. I don't think that was by design, but it absolutely can be a representation of that. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of replay value. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate and subscribe if you haven't already. That does help us out a lot, and we greatly appreciate it. Remember to download new episodes every other Tuesday. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.
1: Bye! Bye.